as I watch what is going on in Ukraine, like the rest of you, I cannot help but feel it's deja vu all over again. Scenes that we thought and assumed were relics of a distant past, images and outtakes from, out, from old movies, of an army invading a country, a neighboring country, unprovoked, of a country with superior firepower running roughshod over its neighbor, just like the way the Nazis did at the end, at the outset of World War II, have shattered our illusion that this kind of action and confrontation was a relic of the past, that it had ceased somehow with the end of the 20th century and the conclusion of World War II. The Cold War confrontation between East and West, between an aggressive Russia and a free world that resists its bellicosity is back in full force. It turns out Mitt Romney was right. He was right when during the 2012 presidential debate, he said that the greatest threat to world stability was Russia, along with North Korea and Iran. I think he's owed an apology by Barack Obama and the media who so smugly dismissed his warning and derisively mocked him as resurrecting an obsolete foreign policy of the 1980s. It turns out he was right not to be naive about Putin and his expansionist intentions to conquer territory, which he claims belongs to Russia. One cannot help but watch in horror and disbelief and feel sympathy for the poor people of Ukraine as being attacked by force so much more powerful than them and run over by Russian forces. Feeling sympathy for the civilians rushing to leave or to take cover from the onslaught. The other day, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, said in an emotional video address to his nation that he gave after midnight, quote, we have been left alone to defend ourselves. He asked, who is ready to fight alongside of us? He added, I don't see anyone. Anyone who is ready to give Ukraine a guarantee is anyone who is ready to give Ukraine a guarantee of NATO membership. Everyone is afraid. Now, the history of the Jews in Ukraine goes back over a thousand years to the eighth or ninth century, with a, currently with an estimated 40 to 50,000 Jews living there and perhaps many more. It's actually the third largest Jewish community in Europe. And although we've lived there for a very long time, and many important contributions to Jewish life and prominent Jews come from there, our history was troubled, anything but romantic or idyllic, with frequent outbursts of scapegoating of Jews for all the economic and social problems that plagued the country over the centuries, leading quite often to anti-Semitic persecution, discrimination, and pogroms. Prior to World War II, there were over one and a half million Jews living in what is now Ukraine, constituting almost 5% of the total population. In some urban areas, Jewish population was as high as 30%. It was a center of Hasidic life and thought and history. But a million Jews were killed in the Holocaust, often the result of cooperation by the local population with Nazis seeking to exterminate the Jewish population of the world. At the end of the 20th century, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, almost 80% of the Jews who survived made Aliyah, 
and were able to move to Israel, leaving behind a mostly elderly and poor population. I had occasion to visit Kiev, Ukraine, <coughs> where my father's family comes from twice. Once in the late 1980s, when it was still under Soviet communist regime, before the fall of the Iron Curtain, and once after its collapse. The first time I was on my own with another local rabbi. We were clandestinely sent by the JCRC as emissaries of our local Jewish community and the national Jewish community on a mission to meet, teach, and give hope and information to Jews seeking to escape the yoke of Soviet oppression, and then to bring back information about the community and what was happening with the activists who wanted to leave. The second time I visited, I went with a delegation of rabbis when I was chairman of the rabbinic cabinet of JFNA, the Jewish Federations of North America. And on the second visit, I met two types of Jews, elderly Jews who were barely surviving, who lived in impoverished substandard housing conditions, and whose packages and visits from representatives of the Jewish community truly sustained them. In fact, I remember upon one such visit to a woman in a tiny, tiny apartment that we learned that other residents in this impoverished building wished they were Jewish because they saw what meager portions she received as a pension from the government were supplemented by what she received from the joint, the Joint Distribution Committee, the overseas arm of our American Jewish community, the Jewish organization that helps to rescue and support Jews around the world. And the other population that we encountered, in addition to the elderly and poor Jews, were young Jews, many of whom had only recently discovered that they were Jewish. After the double whammy of the Holocaust, which sought to exterminate Jews, and then communist efforts to extinguish Judaism, the Jewish religion, many of those who remained behind were afraid to openly practice Judaism. And so they hid their Judaism from their very own children. But many members of a new young generation, inspired by Israel and by the educators sent there by the Jewish agency and the Jewish summer camps that they attended, supported all by the Jewish agency and the joint, were hungry to reclaim and to learn more about Judaism. Upon my return, I told you some of the stories a number of years ago of those who were interested in reclaiming that lost identity. Fascinating ones, such as the time a child was sent home from school for beating up and bullying another Jewish, for beating up a Jewish kid just because he was Jewish. When he got home, his father told him not to ever beat up another Jewish child again. We asked his father why he was so upset with him for doing this. His father said to him, because you are Jewish. There was a teenager who watched a television show with his father, who didn't understand why his father was crying as he watched scenes of Jews being taken to concentration camps and murdered, only to learn for the first time in his life as a 15-year-old that the reason his father was so emotional upset was because he revealed to him something he had never told him before. We are Jewish, he told him. I was there to help in some small way to encourage and to nurture the fire within the soul of what we call a pintle yid, that spark that's in every Jew, that's not extinguished, but is sometimes dormant, that spark to remain a Jew. 
And so once again, we are called upon to do what we can, what we have always done throughout our history, to support our fellow Jews under siege. For we are one, we are a people, and we are responsible for each other. Kol Yisrael Aravin Zebazeh. The Jewish Federations of North America, JFNA, has undertaken a campaign to use its funds to raise, to, uh, to, the, to use the funds it raises to support a number of worthwhile efforts. Through the Sochnut, the Jewish agency, it brings shlichim, like Talia, to Ukraine. There I saw firsthand the cultural programs for young Jews at JCCs, the Jewish camp at Sarvish. I participated in a Havdalah with young people thirsting and quenching to be able to have more of a Jewish experience. And the amazing work they do to renew Jewish life in a place where we thought, after the Nazis, it was all but dead. Including bringing Ukrainian youth to Israel for various programs, such as Birthright, and now to continue to support the Aliyah of Jews. The joint runs a thousand chesed centers to help support the vulnerable population with critical welfare services, paying for food and medicine. ORT provides vocational training. So if you feel the need or the desire to do something to help respond to the humanitarian crisis, I urge you, contribute through the Federation, where you can be confident that your donations will be put to good use and will go directly to help those in need. Now, there are two other important points and lessons I need to share with you this morning. As we witness and talk about the, the horror of what's going on in Ukraine and feel the frustration over it, one is that as refugees flee the bombings in Kiev and elsewhere, it is the Jews of Ukraine who know that they're able to get out because there is one country in the world that will take them in and will welcome them with open arms. Whereas during World War II, the time of the Nazi invasion, they had nowhere to turn. Let us be thankful that we live in a time when there is a country that seizes its very raison d'etre, saving and rescuing Jews. In fact, in this very Declaration of Independence, it states, Eretz Yisrael, the Jewish state, opens the gates of its homeland wide to every Jew and confirms upon the Jewish people the status of a fully privileged member the community of nations. Indeed, throughout Israel's four, 74 years, it has lived up to that promise of its Declaration of Independence, rescuing Jews around the world and keeping its doors open. And not just that, but actively working, often in dangerous situations, to bring those fleeing persecution home to Eretz Yisrael. And the second lesson, the second lesson we must insist upon is no more naivete. No more naivete in our foreign policy. No more naivete in regard to the nefarious design of totalitarian dictators who boast of their plans to conquer or destroy other people. Jews and other good-hearted people who dismiss or minimize the threat posed to Israel and its people by Iran and the enemies of Israel who seek its demise and its destruction must be taken seriously and not be allowed to acquire the means to carry out their evil intentions. So if there's any one lesson for Jews, after witnessing what is happening in Ukraine and the world's relatively impotent response, it is we have to do what we can to make sure that Israel remains strong, that it has the means to defend itself, and that it dare not rely on international promises of goodwill to come to its aid. It may not come. And so I understand better now the meaning that I, of a phrase we say often, with which we often close our tefillot, our services, 
from the prophet who said, Adonai oz lamo yiten. May the Lord give strength unto his people. Adonai yivorechet amova shalom. May God bless his people with peace. And that is why and how peace is able to come when God blesses us with strength. And so too, may the people of Ukraine find strength at this time. May the Jews there find strength. May all of us find strength so that peace may be found. And let us say amen. <laughs>